This is Ryan Pierce, host of Completely Serious. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Oh, the sweet, sweet tones of Luther Vandross. That could only mean one thing. March Madness is back. Hi, everyone. I'm John Lauder. And I'm Christian Heimel. We host the Cheap Seat Sports Podcast on Mondays. We're excited to invite you all to the first ever Public House Media Bracket Challenge. Now is your chance to prove that you know more about college basketball than we do. And then hear Johnny and I complain about it each week. Oh, that's for sure. All you have to do is check out our Facebook page, the Cheap Seat Sports Podcast. Find the link and enter. Only one entry per person, though. Prizes will go to the top listeners, especially the ones who beat out public house media hosts like John and myself. And don't forget to be eligible to win. You must like both the Cheap Seat Sports Podcast and the Public House Media Facebook pages. That simple, guys. Two clicks. Like the pages, join the group, and good luck in the inaugural Public House Media Bracket Challenge. The latest headlines. If they go out and wipe the floor with the Texans, I might buy in. The insightful interviews. Whitney McIntosh, SB Nation. I was more impressed with John Carlo, especially when you consider Aaron Judge's all-star squad. The hottest takes. Yeah, Saquon Barkley had a great game against Iowa, but he hasn't done much. Can all be found on Press, Press Row. Row. Here's your host. It's clearly time for a change. It's only a matter of time before it happens. Christian Heimel. What's up, everybody? How's your bracket doing? I know it's just started, but we've got the entire tournament, the month of March. Madness is finally here as it all begins today in earnest, March 15, 2018, after the first four over the last couple of days. Christian Alma here with you. Welcome back on Press Row, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. Got a fun show in store for you guys today. We're going to talk, of course, about the bracket. No worries. We're going to get all in-depth of the best matchups, the best players to watch, as well, all coming up in just a little bit. Chris Williams, member of the 1993 Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference champion Manhattan Jaspers, a participant in the NCAA tournament. He knows how to get there. He knows what it takes to not only get there, but to see what it takes to have teams win. He's been a part uh, as a broadcaster of some mid-major squads that have made some noise in the tournament. So we'll get his thoughts on the field of 68, uh, 64 now, I should say, as well as who he thinks will end up being in the Final Four, cutting down the nets in San Antonio. We're also going to talk with Chris Trapazzo of CBS Sports NFL Draft Insider, uh, and he's going to talk to us a lot about the free agency. I mean, it, it got crazy on the first day of free agency, even before uh, free agency officially began. So many contracts, so many big names uh, being tossed around and being talked about uh, there as, as well. I mean, it, Money going up, like Kirk Cousins' deal is, is unbelievable to me. And the fact that Kirk Cousins is the first one to get that fully guaranteed contract is insane. I mean, you got to give credit to him considering what he went through his first few years in Washington to now have that and bet on himself the way he has. Tremendous job. Uh, I loved him in college. I thought he was a great prospect coming out of college, and to see him finally get that is great. But at the same time, I mean, $28 million a year for that guy for three years for Minnesota. The Vikings really going all in to try and win now. You look at some of these other teams and what they've been doing. The Cleveland Browns have been making some great moves. Uh, you got a bunch of other quarterbacks making you know changes. Sam Bradford to the Cardinals, Case Keenum to the Broncos, Teddy Bridgewater to the Jets. Um, you look at what the Dolphins have done. The Patriots have lost a lot of talent, so we'll see what happens there. I mean, it's going to be an interesting uh, season this year. Th this might be... You know, each year I, I complain about the NFL offseason and just how much it kind of takes over when actual things are happening. But this is fun. I mean, the Browns trades, the free agency on the first day, the Alex Smith deal the week before the Super Bowl. I mean, this is a fun NFL offseason so far. So we're going to talk with Chris Trapazzo in a little bit as well as Chris Williams uh, about the NCAA tournament. But before we get to all of that, let's talk a little bit about the NBA, as, as it's starting to get a little bit closer, things are heating up. Only a few weeks left before the playoffs uh, here in the NBA. You look at some of the teams, and uh, let's see here. You know, you, you got, what, about 14 games left You know, in the regular season? So it's going to start getting interesting here, and there's a team that really is starting to struggle 
a little bit. And it's interesting here to me that you kind of got to be concerned about the Golden State Warriors. Um, I know it's strange to say that, but a team that has dropped two, uh, you know, a couple games in a row here, um, a team that has seemingly, I don't want to say lost their edge, but lost their way. And Steph Curry with that ankle, I mean, this could be the part of the pun here, the Achilles heel of the Golden State Warriors is the fact that he is going to sit out the next four games, uh, you know, next week at least. Um, who knows what's going to happen there? But I mean, it, it's a scary thing in the West now, where it seems as though, I mean, you look at the the Warriors struggling. The Spurs might not make the playoffs because of how bad they've been playing without Kawhi Leonard and. If you're the Spurs, you got to try to get him back. I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk on whether or not he should return and just get healthy for next year, but you got to find a way to make the playoffs if you're the Spurs here. Um, Paul George has got the groin injury, so who knows what's going to happen with the Thunder. The Pelicans without Boogie Cousins. Uh, the Timberwolves don't have the talent. I mean, Portland, Portland's playing great right now. The Trailblazers are, are phenomenal. They've won 10 in a row. You look at what Damian Lillard uh, has done up there. It's it's insane, and they're blowing teams out. I mean, you look at their last 10 games, they've only had a couple of really close ones. The Thunder, an eight-point win. The Lakers, a five-point win because Los Angeles is playing great defense lately. Um, the Suns on the road, I mean, it's a tough one there for them. But other than that, in that 10-game win streak, they've beaten the Warriors twice. So the Trailblazers are playing really well right now. The Rockets are playing great. Uh, they're a tremendous team. They're doing the best they possibly can, and they're just absolutely crushing it. I love what's going on in the West right now. There's so many teams that can really win this NBA championship. And now we're not even talking about the Cavaliers as a possibility or the Warriors. Because honestly, if Steph Curry's not healthy, I, I know that there's still the Warriors. They still have Kevin Durant, Andre Godala, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson. I know they've still got all that. But there's something different about the Warriors right now. They don't have that mentality. They don't have that fear factor, which is a little strange to think of that you go into a series with them and you don't feel as though you've already lost the game, you know? Uh, I mean, so winning four games against Golden State doesn't seem like such a terrible uh, feat or, or such a tough feat anymore. And then in the East, Boston is starting to play a little bit better. The Raptors are still phenomenal. I mean, Toronto is just absolutely f unbelievable right now what they're doing with the Pacers tonight. Should be an interesting game for them. But winners of nine in a row... And they're just great at home. And how about Jonas uh, Valanciunas? He's been phenomenal for them. Um, the other day, 26 points, 14 rebounds. I know it was the Nets, but still, I mean, you look at what they've done. Road wins, uh, the Pistons, the Wizards, the Magic, uh, the Nets, and the Knicks. I mean, not great teams there, but five of their last nine wins have all been on the road. And this is a team, and I've said this to you guys multiple times, the way that you win games is by playing defense and playing well on the road. And they're a team 22-12 and 12 on the road. That's the second most road wins in the Eastern Conference, only behind Boston at 23-9. and nine. Um, But a 28-5 and five home record, I mean, they're 33-8 and eight against the Eastern Conference. Dwayne Casey has that team playing incredibly well. They've got the best uh, point differential in the East at plus 9 right now. I love what the Raptors are doing. Uh, the Raptors and Rockets, honestly, might be on a collision course. This could be the year where we don't have either the Warriors or the Cavaliers in the NBA Finals, and it's tremendous uh, about what they're doing there. So I'm I'm pumped for this. This is going to be a lot of fun. The final couple weeks of the regular season is going to be a mad dash for these guys. I mean, there there are honestly, in my mind, there are five teams that could actually win the NBA championship right now, and it's insane to think that considering the last four years that we've had. So, but the Raptors, the Celtics, I, I leave the Cavaliers in there just because it's LeBron James. Um, and, and then the Rockets and the Warriors, uh, but who knows? I mean, you never know what's going to happen. It's incredible to think. I love this. It's so much fun, uh, for teams to be this way. This is what makes the NBA great. This is what makes sports great. When you have so many teams that could win, this is what's important. I know a lot of folks were upset this year about college basketball saying, oh, there's no great team. It, 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 it's not Parity is what we want. You know, you, you don't want the same team winning. It's why everybody hates the Patriots. It's why they hate the Yankees. It's why so many people, as much as you love Michael Jordan, hated the Bulls. It's why right now we hate the Cavaliers. We hate the Warriors because they always win. We want different people. And the NBA this year has found a way with some young coaches, with 
the free agent moves, the trades that have happened to make things that much more fun. Uh, it's a lot better when you don't know what the ending's going to be. So that's the that, the, the best part of a movie is a cliffhanger, is, is not knowing how it's going to end. And the NBA right now is putting together a beautiful script uh, with the Raptors, the Celtics, the Warriors, uh, the Rockets, the Cavaliers, even the Trailblazers right now playing so well. And, um, I mean, it's it's amazing to watch, and I absolutely love it. So going to be a lot of fun. The final few bits of the uh, NBA regular season coming up, and we're going to touch on it a heck of a lot more as we get closer to the playoffs Still a heck of a lot more to get to here uh, on Press Row, presented by uh, Public House Media Network. Don't forget, guys, join the Public House Media Bracket Challenge. Uh, you got to do two things. Like the Public House Media page on Facebook. Like the Cheap Seat Sports Podcast. It's a Public House Bracket Challenge brought to you by the Cheap Seats, which is a sports podcast that we have every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, I host the Monday show, also produce the, the other two shows. But uh, check it out. Compete against us. Some fun prizes to be eligible to win, though. You have to like both the Cheap Seats podcast as well as the Public House Media Facebook page. So plenty more to get that. I'll give you my final four picks if you haven't heard them already. We'll touch on the final four as well with Chris Williams in just a little bit. But when we return, Chris Chapanzo, CBS Sports NFL Insider, how the NFL free agency, how the trades have all affected the draft coming up in about six weeks. It's next on Press Row. Want to be part of the show? Go to Facebook and search Press Row Podcast Public House Media. Or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Press Row PHM. You can also email the program Press Row PHM at gmail.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a Public House Media podcast. Cash rules everything around me. Back here on Press Row, it's part of the Public House Media Network. Christian Heimel here with you. Uh, NFL season, according to the office, officially underway uh, on the 14th, and it began with a wild day of free agency. A lot of big names making big money and going a lot of different places to help us break it all down. It's Chris Trapasso of uh, CBS Sports. He joins us here now. Chris, thanks a lot for the time. Thanks for having me on. And then uh, I guess we'll get right to it. I mean, the Cleveland Browns, when you go back to the trades they were making last week, they go out and, and they uh, are able to get Tyrod Taylor. They sign a couple of guys here and there. What is it? What's the change of culture with the new GM, John Dorsey? Well, I think first and foremost, and this might sound like an oversimplification, but they just have a ton of money. So um, it doesn't seem like they've you know, for the most part overspent on every free agent, but with so much money, they did have, um, you know, a lot of resources to bring in quality players um, in some people's eyes, some top tier players to fill out a roster that was seemingly getting better, but obviously wasn't delivering the results over the last couple of seasons with uh, Sashi Brown at the helm there. So now with this, I mean, Free agency, the trades, it all affects how things go down in Dallas for the for the NFL draft. But at number one and number four, I mean, the Browns are in a great position here to potentially draft that quarterback of the future as well as that premier player that might help them compete here this this season. Yeah, absolutely. And there was some chatter about maybe Saquon Barkley going number one overall after his ridiculous combine and his illustrious career at Penn State, but the Browns didn't go 0-16 last year and they're not 1-31 and in their last two seasons to get the first overall pick and then ultimately pick a quarterback. I mean, they obviously had it last year too and, and picked a uh, player at a premier position in Miles Garrett. Um, but even with Tyrod Taylor um, and even if John Dorsey sees him as that Alex Smith type, which he is that type of quarterback, he's not going to turn the ball over a lot, but he might not win you a ton of games single-handedly. The Browns have to pick a quarterback at one, uh, even if they try to do any maneuvering that you know significantly increases the risk that they miss out on the quarterback they want with teams like the Giants, uh, the Bills, the Cardinals, maybe even a few dark horse teams like the uh, Dolphins, the Ravens that could potentially move up to get a quarterback that the Browns might like. So I I think despite all the moves that we're seeing the Browns make because of what I mentioned, all that money that they had, um, I still think um, that it would be a shock if they don't pick one of these highly sought after quarterbacks with the first overall pick. All these quarterbacks in the draft, but I mean, let, let's talk about the four quarterbacks that signed big deals on the first day of free agency. I mean, Kirk Cousins, 
fully guaranteed for three years in Minnesota. Case Keenum goes to the Broncos, Teddy Bridgewater to the Jets, Sam Bradford to the Cardinals. But these are all teams that, I mean, maybe outside of Minnesota that could be drafting a quarterback as well. Yeah, and it seemed like uh, the consensus was that none of those quarterback moves yesterday or the last couple of days um, were really going to stop any of those teams from picking a quarterback. And like you mentioned, a lot of those teams are drafting in the top six. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals are in the top 15. Um, I don't think all of those teams are still going to address a quarterback in this draft. I mean, when you're the Jets and you sign Josh McCown, to a $10 million deal. Yes, he's older, but then you have Teddy Bridgewater on a one-year deal, who's a younger quarterback, former first-rounder that looked really good in Minnesota before his injury, Um, and then in Arizona with Sam Bradford, and then they're potentially going to sign Mike Glennon. Um, Those obviously aren't franchise saviors, but I think you don't necessarily put in that much money into the veteran quarterback market to then draft another quarterback to be your third or your fourth quarterback on your roster. Certainly, some teams will double up, um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if a team like the Broncos, you know, had Case Keenum that they feel comfortable with, with Gary Kubiak there in that senior consulting role, have him as the start of this season or for at least half the year and then have a rookie in there. But looking at the Jets, I mean, this is a team that drafted Christian Hackenberg in the 2016 draft. Um, and it was kind of a head scratcher that they picked him in the second round. And then there were reports even this season that because they had so many quarterbacks, Bryce Petty mm-hmm. two seasons ago, Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, they had so many quarterbacks on their roster that Hackenberg was really having a hard time even getting enough reps to you know go through that maturation process that everyone agreed that he needed. So I don't know if, if this same GM and same head coach, Mike McCagnan and Todd Bowles, want to go into that same predicament again where they have two or three quarterbacks that they like, and it would be very hard for you know one of them to really separate themselves without giving him a ton of reps in practice and training camp. Um, so I don't think all these teams that have signed veterans are going to still – pick quarterbacks I think it's smart for those teams to you know assume that in case they do want to actually trade back Um, but it'll certainly be interesting and I do think that ultimately um, we will have five and maybe six quarterbacks in this first round which if they're six in round one it would be the first time since that famous 1983 draft Mm -hmm. that had Dan Marino, John Elway, Jim Kelly and a few other guys so it's Definitely going to be one of the most intriguing drafts just from the quarterback perspective that we've seen in some time. Speaking with Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports, uh, Kirk Cousins, three years, uh, $86 or $84 million, all guaranteed for the Minnesota Vikings. What is it about Kirk Cousins that makes him the one that gets this fully guaranteed contract? Well, I think he bet on himself for two straight seasons in Washington. And that was kind of unprecedented that usually, especially someone in Kirk Cousins shoes, that wasn't a first round pick Mm -hmm. um, that, that kind of worked his way up after one, maybe two seasons of, you know, high level production, we've seen those quarterbacks say, fine, I'm going to sign a long-term extension. Um, It's not going to be fully guaranteed, but I want that job security. And Cousins bet on himself, and obviously the Redskins regressed as a team during Kirk Cousins' tenure there. But his statistics, um, you know, he could always point to those and say, listen, I'm throwing over 4,000 yards a season. I'm well over 60% completion. I've lost some of my weapons um, over the past couple of seasons, which was certainly the case in Washington. So I think that's why, I mean, he's not necessarily – Uh, you know, even a top five, and some people don't even think he's a top 10 quarterback. I think he's right in the range between seven or 12 at times. Um, And at times he looks like a middle of the pack quarterback, but because he bet on himself and just signed those one-year franchise tags, that's why we got to where we are today, that he's getting a three-year deal and it's likely going to be fully guaranteed. The Packers kind of did something interesting where they're signing Jimmy Graham and they get Mo Wilkerson, but they go ahead and they cut Jordy Nelson, who has been, by all accounts, Aaron Rodgers' favorite target after firing the quarterback coach that Aaron Rodgers didn't want. What's going on in Green Bay? Well, we have a new guard in Green Bay that Brian uh, Gutekunst is someone that's been in that organization for a while, but it shows that, you know, guys below a GM aren't going to always, you know, have the same school of thought when it comes to roster building or free agency or the draft. 
And Ted Thompson was obviously, for some Green Bay fans, you know, notorious for not spending in free agency and let, and recently letting some good players, Micah Hyde, Casey Hayward, leave in free agency that were homegrown talents. So I think from here on out with this younger GM, um, we are going to see the Packers be more active in free agency. But at this point with um, the wide receiver spot, they had just, you know, for – three or four seasons there, even at the tail end of Donald Driver and Greg Jennings' career, they were loading up on wide receivers in the draft. Um, they picked Randall Cobb when they had a loader receiving core. Um, they, you know, had Jordy Nelson there. They picked Devontae Adams in the second round. So they paid Devontae Adams, which makes sense because he had really come on in his third and fourth season. Um, and it just got to the point where Jordy Nelson was a little bit too old and cost a little bit too much. And I think they would rather have – Adams as that number one, and then Randall Cobb as kind of that gadgety guy in the slot, and they might address that wide receiver spot in the draft. I don't think it's anything about they think Jordy Nelson is a bad player, but he just doesn't fit how much money he was going to cost this season. There was a lot of talk uh, during the season about the power struggle in New England and eventually the Jimmy Garoppolo trade, but with free agency, Deion Lewis, Malcolm Butler both going to Tennessee, and then Danny Amendola going to, to Miami, is, is there a, a little bit of a chip in the armor up in New England? I think so, um, especially because we are getting near the end of the Tom Brady and the Bill Belichick era. Um, I think those two together, though, are the ultimate trump card that um, Brady can always lean on Belichick uh, in terms of his defensive game plans, the offensive game plans, obviously, too, and and obviously vice versa, that Bill Belichick doesn't necessarily have a better drafting history than any other GM or any other head coach in the league. He doesn't stand above everyone else, but Tom Brady you know, can mask a lot of those flaws, and I think we are going to have to see that um, in this 2018 season, that they're losing a lot of core guys that weren't just good last year or in 2016, that have been around for a long time and were central figures. In New England, yes, there's still the draft. Yes, we're technically only in the first real day or legal day of free agency. So the Patriots could make some moves um, in both those markets. But whenever you're you know, getting rid of not one or two core players, but three, four, five guys that have been reliable, um, guys that have totally bought into that system and, and been a part of some really big wins over the past three or four years, it's going to be, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve or some growing pains. And I think that will be the case early on in 2018, but I don't expect the Patriots to all of a sudden fall apart. But I do think we will see those growing pains early in the season. CBS Sports' Chris Trapasso joining us here on Press Row talking NFL free agency. Two signings that kind of, uh, I don't know if I love them or, or hate them, but, I mean, Allen Robinson to the Bears, and then I guess the one that I kind of really love mainly because of what he said and being I'm vengeful that way is Richard Sherman to the Niners. Your thoughts on those two? Those are two great fits that are very logical. Um, it seems like the Bears uh, are following, which seems to be you know a, a pretty logical um, way to build your team and and is really a, a uh, trend in today's NFL of you know trade up for your quarterback like the Eagles did like the Rams did for Carson Wentz and Jared Goff respectively um, you might have to you know spend some pretty early draft capital the first season you kind of just have it be a rough draft or a trial trial run and then the next year with more cap space and your draft picks. Um, recouped, then you go out and you get your franchise quarterback who's still only 22 or 23 years old, those top-notch weapons. And we saw Trubisky play pretty well down the stretch after he got a little bit comfortable there in Chicago, but his receiver group was just was one of the worst in the league, and you're not going to ever see development, especially from a guy that only had one year of collegiate experience. If he doesn't have that you know, top-notch group of pass catchers, Allen Robinson, if he's healthy, which, you know, all reports are that he is at this point, um, he can be a thousand yard, 10 touchdown wide receiver. He's still only 24 years old. Um, so that makes tons of tons of sense. And, and it was actually a little more obvious of a signing because his um, wide receiver coach at Penn State is now on the staff in Chicago. So there was a connection there. and That was uh, just a perfect fit. And the same thing with uh, Richard Sherman, that the 49ers have a lot of cap space 
and their defensive coordinator was with Richard Sherman in Seattle. They're going to run a lot of cover three and just ask their outside corners to look back at the ball and make plays on the football. He doesn't necessarily need to have the same explosiveness or speed as he had in the prime of his career, which he probably won't coming off the Achilles injury and now being 30 years old, but he can still make plays on the football. He's still six foot two, still has long arms, um, can read routes, can read the quarterback size very quickly. So I think those two signings, I agree with you, were, were regardless of the money and neither team, you know, paid a exorbitant amount for either of those players, but those two signings were very logical and will, you know, have a big impact on those organizations. What kind of message are the Los Angeles Rams sending to the rest of the NFC with some of the deals they've made over the last week? I think that they are ready to not only, you know, take over the NFC West from the Seahawks. I mean, we saw them do that last year, but be there for a long time. I mean, this is a roster that, that on both sides, especially on the defensive side, that looks like arguably the best in the NFL, right? right up there with the Super Bowl champion Eagles, um, that they can not only get after you um, inside with Aaron Donald, but on the edge and then their secondary with Marcus Peters. Um, they have, you know, each level of their defense does not really have any holes. And then you have Wade Phillips. Um, that's that's kind of that veteran presence to kind of back Sean McVay, who's obviously relatively inexperienced youngest quarter or youngest head coach in the NFL. So I think they're sending a clear message that, you know, for every move that we've seen the Eagles make that the Rams want to say, Hey, we're right there too. Um, and they want to kind of match what the Eagles have done, especially up front and on that defensive side of the ball that, you know, we've seen that, yes, we just saw a Super Bowl that was high scoring and there was only one punt, but in those outside games in your conference, in the playoffs, you've got to have, a good defense, you got to be able to get after the passer and play good coverage on the back end. And the Rams certainly have the personnel on paper to do both of those things. I'm going to go a little biased here with you. Uh, one of the teams that a lot of people have been talking about drafting a quarterback, the team that I grew up rooting for in the New York Giants, and it's kind of blown my mind that people are considering doing this, but signing Jonathan Stewart and then reportedly uh, Nate Solder joining the fold for the Giants, how much are they trying to win now in the last couple of years of Eli's contract? I think a lot more uh, than what many people think, um, and, and that kind of aligns with what you just said, that Dave Gettleman doesn't necessarily, you know, in his second GM job, doesn't necessarily want to come in, um, go through, like I mentioned with the Patriots, but go through the growing pains of a rookie quarterback that, yes, this is a, a, a very highly sought after uh, quarterback class, and it's it. I think is the best quarterback class that we've seen since at least 2004 that had Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, so I, I think that they, that Dave Gettleman wants to play this out with Eli Manning and, and says, Hey, this is a team that is only one year removed from an NFC East title and the playoffs. And that was with, you know, it wasn't just Eli Manning and Odell Beckham that season. And actually, I'm sure you remember the last half of the season, it was the offense that actually held the defense back. So yeah. they're still good up front. They still have Landon Collins. Um, they have the draft. We, we've seen Dave Gettleman in Carolina find some gems in the secondary later in the draft. I mean, Josh Norman was not a first-round pick. He knows his prototype that he wants at that cornerback spot and doesn't have to you know, use a first-round pick on him. So I, I, it kind of seems like, as you mentioned, um, that Gettleman is kind of looking back at that 2016 season and, and is saying, we still have Eli Manning. We've seen the Saints, the Steelers, the Patriots, you know, ride these veteran franchise quarterbacks well into their 30s and to some even into their 40s. Um, and if anything, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants would maybe even want to move back a few picks to get extra selections to build this team around Eli Manning and getting Nate Solder was huge. Cause that was really a big issue for the giants. Obviously that left tackle spot. Yep. Um, he's not the same left tackle as he was earlier in his career, but he's a big pass protection guy um, has gotten actually better as a run blocker as well. So he's not necessarily going to turn this giants front into the best offensive line in the league, but he certainly fills a hole and the giants had the money to spend. Um, so yeah, I don't think anything that they've done, 
you know, says that they're trying to, you know, tear everything down and rebuild with a rookie. Um, in fact, I think that this season they're going to just go forward with Pat Shermer, letting Eli Manning get back to what he does um, in, in terms of being comfortable, getting the ball out quickly. And obviously with Solder, that helps up front to, you know, keep some of that pressure off Eli Manning. Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports, joining us here on Press Row. Chris, it's a lot of fun when it's a lot of trades and signings here in this in the first two weeks of March. Yeah, I think, um, and I've I've sent a few tweets out about this that I have this. I don't know if it's a crazy theory or if it's spot on, but that with so many younger GMs in the league that probably spent their days at some point playing Madden on franchise <laughs> mode, sending crazy <laughs> trades here and there. I mean. If you or me were all of a sudden an NFL GM, I, I would say, hey, I'm going to make some trades. And beyond that, and, and, and even if that isn't you know, the most serious thing, I do think there is some credence to, to that. And beyond that theory, I think that a lot of GMs are kind of scoffing at the notion that you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago, oh, you, know, you can't trade NFL contracts. It's too confusing. It's too hard. How do you value it? For a lot of these GMs, they're saying, hey, we're going to cut this guy. Let's try to trade him and get a sixth-round pick or get a fifth-round pick. And this this um, you know contender that's picking near the end of the first round needs a wide receiver to get over the hump. Let's trade him instead of cutting him. And teams are starting to look more ahead in terms of team options and when contracts void and when big roster bonuses come up. And instead of just letting those ride out, they're being more aggressive, um, and it certainly is making for a very fun offseason thus far in the NFL. Chris, appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, Chris Trapasso there, uh, CBS Sports, and, and it's a fun offseason. The, the NFL is more fun in the offseason when there's actually things going on and not just you know what's happening elsewhere across the uh, across the scope of things. So good stuff there from him. Check him out, Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports as well. When we return, Chris Williams, uh, 1993 MAC champion, NCAA tournament participant. He'll help us break down the bracket, give us his final four picks as well on Press Row. Listen to every episode and get the latest shows sent right to you. Subscribe to Press Row on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. Or visit us online at www.thephmedia.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast. Back on Press Row, Chris Trammell here with you, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. This is the my favorite day of the year, honestly, because in a couple of minutes, no matter when you're listening here on this Thursday, uh, March 15th, no matter when you're listening, there's a good chance that you're watching college basketball because there are about 12 hours of it that we get to ingest and enjoy in the NCAA tournament. And a guy who knows all about it, uh, my former broadcast partner with the Manhattan College Jaspers, a NCAA tournament participant himself, MAC champion in 1993, Chris Smooth-Williams, back on the program. Smooth, it's always good to talk basketball with you, brother. What's up, partner? Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you, buddy. Miss you, man. <laughs> we... I miss broadcasting together, but I want to talk because you and I talk a lot about this on our broadcast with Manhattan over the last six years. What's it like when that selection show happens and you and I got to sit and watch two of them together with Manhattan, but what's it like when you're sitting there with your team? What was it like for you guys in 1993? What are schools like Lipscomb, who's never been in the tournament, uh, Loyola Chicago, who haven't been there in 33 years. What's it like for those schools where it's such a long drought, where you're sitting there and then you finally get to see your name pop up on that selection show? Well, Kristen, there's so much excitement. Everybody's happy. You have basically the weight of your city, your town, or whatever area you are on your shoulders, and you bring so much hope, so much light, so much good energy. So it's an exciting feeling. You're happy for the team, obviously your school, but you've done so much more just for the area. And then, I mean, you talk about that. Your 93 team, all your seniors, you guys came in together with, with Coach Lapis. And then when he goes ahead and, and leaves and, and Fran brings you in and you guys end up making that, you're in the NCAA, you're in the conference championship game in 92, lose right. that game, and then come back with Fran Fraschilla in his first season after Coach Lapis moves on. 
What was it like for you seniors to kind of sit there and say, this is what we built, this is what we came in as freshmen knowing we wanted to do and we finally achieved it? Well, another great feeling. And you know what? We just were inducted into the Hall of Fame, that 1992-93 season team in the Hall of Fame. So I'm a Hall of Famer also, Christian. <laughs> so with that being said, when we were recruited coming into Manhattan, the ultimate goal was to get to the tournament. And ideally, most people think it's much easier said than done. So much work that has to be done to get that. And you have to be a team. You have a number of good players. And one of the things when I speak, I always tell teams, organizations, the most important word in the English language is we. When you have special people, everybody likes to do their own thing. And you have fanfare, people telling you something in your ear. But the ultimate goal is coming together and be able to sacrifice and bring your talents together. And we were able to do that in 1993. Speaking with Chris Williams, Manhattan Jasper Hall of Famer, 1993 MAC champion and tournament uh, participant in the NCAAs. A lot of talk every single year about the mid-major schools not getting enough love and not getting those at-large bids. We see it every single year, especially when a school like Davidson goes and, and beats right. uh, and, and wins their conference tournament. We saw it uh, in our league with Iona, the last mid-major, to, to get a real at-large bid a couple of years back. What is so difficult about playing at a mid-major school if you don't win your conference championship to end up in the NCAA tournament? Well, it really comes down to money, obviously. Uh, you want to bring in people into the tournament that are going to attract interest. And oftentimes the teams we watch every Saturday, every Monday, are the teams people want to see consistently. There's always a great story with the mid-majors, but in most cases, they're only going to win one game or two games, if that. So with that being said, as a mid-major, it's very difficult because you want to have a good non-conference schedule. But if you're any good, the top teams won't dare play you at your place. So you have to go on the road. And sometimes those games get tricky. And when you get into conference play, it's so difficult. I always tell everybody, it's so difficult when you're a mid-major team in your conference tournament. You've played everybody mm -hmm. twice. You know each other like from head to toe. Even if you're the best team, there's a strong possibility someone can beat you on a given night. So when you're a mid-major, you have to focus really to just win that tournament so you can eliminate all doubt. So as we look forward here to this uh, field of 68 or 64 teams as, as we get set to, to really get going on Thursday, is, is there a team that kind of surprised you when the selection show came out uh, that you were sitting there kind of scratching your head a little bit that they were actually in as an at-large team? Well, obviously, like almost everyone else, you know, teams like Syracuse, mm -hmm. you know, you didn't think they may have had the pedigree to get in this particular season. But like I said, I think that comes down to finances. I think they have a great audience that follows them and you like to see the orange when they do yep. well and they win it's a great look so that was that was one of the teams that kind of scratched my head on it i was on the fence with arizona state but i think you know there's so many teams that you can always say they can or they cannot and you know puts the committee in a tough position but those are the two teams right off the bat that you know it was a light bulb that went off like oh, i'm not sure if these two teams belong in how much did does trey young help Oklahoma in their at-large case and the fact that he's probably he's probably the most marketable player in the league in, in the tournament once again Christian you hit it right on the head probably the most marketable player in the entire tournament and he's one of the that's one of the teams I had circled right here on my pad and pen Oklahoma is a team you have to keep an eye on because mm -hmm. of Trey Young when you talk about pros in the tournament he can explode for 35 to 40 points and as a fan, that's what you want to see. Right. So I would keep an eye on that team. They're in. Obviously, a number of people said maybe they should not be in. But in the beginning of the season, everything you heard, everything you saw was about Oklahoma and Trey Young. They marketed this guy to the hilt. You know, it was, it was at a point where I had never seen him just yet. Mm -hmm. But I, one day I had to sit down and say, they keep talking about this young man. I have to watch this basketball game. <laughs> and he lived up to it. As we were talking with Chris Williams here, uh, Manhattan Jasper, 1993 MAC champion, NCAA tournament participant, and a Jasper Hall of Famer. Uh, as as we sit here and look, where are some of the biggest, intri most intriguing matchups in this first round that you're kind of circling and, and really excited to watch? Well, again, it's a number of matchups that I really like. A team that, obviously, I'm a little East Coast biased. I like Seton Hall. Mm -hmm. I love their seniors. I like their New York swagger. I have them winning two basketball games. I definitely think they can beat North Carolina State. 
I really believe they can beat Kansas. And I go back to that New York City swagger, and you and I have discussed this on the air. Certain cities, you have a swag where you could care less who you're playing against because yep. you've seen that type of player somewhere along the playground, in a park or a rec center once before, so you can compare them to, and you just believe you're better. So I think they can win two games, so I'm interested in seeing how far they go. Uh, you know, well, you'll get into my final four, but I like Michigan State. Mm -hmm. I think they have a championship DNA. You know, they're tough. They're going to do what it takes to win, you know, close games. So those are the type of teams that really jump out at me. Seton Hall is that team, though. I mean, watching the Big East tournament and what Kevin Willard, like, the struggle that they had against Providence, right. I'm a little concerned about it. But, I mean, you're right. They're probably the one team that is my biggest question mark on how far can they actually get. With these number one seeds, I mean, I, I look at them. Kansas, obviously, you know their pedigree. You know what right. Villanova's done the last couple of years. You know Virginia and their defense. The biggest question mark is a number one seed to me is Xavier, especially in that region when it looks like North Carolina could be a number one seed. Michigan, the way they close out the season, they could be a number one seed. As you look at the West region smooth, I mean, it, it's kind of up for grabs. No question. That's the area where I had the most difficulty mm -hmm. trying to figure out who would come out. Now, Xavier had an excellent regular season. They can score the basketball. However, with them, do you trust them in a tournament setting? And when you talk about the tournament, can you win consecutive games? I'm always leery of teams coming into the tournament with long winning streaks. I think it's important to kind of have an edge, that chip on your shoulder coming into the tournament. Okay, we just lost, so you can really get on as coach. And we understand we need to do some things a little better. If you're coming in with maybe an eight-game winning streak, those are the things I kind of question. You don't want to feel really good about yourself. Obviously, you want to have confidence, but you don't want to feel so good. All right, we can't be beat. You talk about confidence and and – the teams that maybe have the most ones that played so well heading in their conference tournament that maybe people weren't really talking about. I look at Michigan and I look at Kentucky as kind of wild cards. A lot of people right. kind of put down the Wildcats this year and coach Calipari may have done his best coaching job from December until now getting this team playing as well as they are. When you get into this tournament, your talent can raise you up a next level. Each year, Coach Cal brings in talented young guys. Obviously, this group may not be as talented as some in the past as far as pros that jump off the board for you, but they're still very good. I think he got them to buy into team basketball. They got on a nice roll coming into the tournament, did an excellent job winning. My main concern with them is can they keep it up? Mm -hmm. That's one of the teams, like I said, being on a roll. They're young. Do they feel so good about themselves? Okay, now we got it. We can't be beat, and they can go back to some of the things that they had issues with during the regular season. You're on Press Row. We're talking college basketball NCAA tournament with Chris Williams, 1993 Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference champion with the Manhattan Jaspers and in the NCAA tournament. Smooth, you and I used to do a lot of broadcasts over these last six years, and we always talk about when it comes down to this time, and folks are just going to have to trust us on this because it's been yeah. it's been a, a, a nice, fun word uh, phrase for a lot of analysts over the last season, guard play. You, oh, yes. I, I, you and I talk about all the time, you've got to have quality guard play, especially late in the season. Which teams do you look at as having the best guard play right now? Well, we mentioned Oklahoma. You love Trey Young because he can score. He is a facilitator also. He can get others involved. And one other point we didn't touch on with him. If you haven't seen him in person, it's really difficult to prepare for someone just watching tape. Obviously, in a the conference, they've seen him twice. So you get a chance to prepare so you know exactly what to, to deal with. But if you haven't seen this young man up close, it's much more difficult to prepare for. So I think he's one person, obviously, we talked about watching. I love the guard play of Villanova. You know I'm, I'm biased yep. towards Philadelphia. <laughs> really tough. You know, Brunson, again, just listening to Jay Wright and watching him, they said the young man is so mature. He plays at a next level. He's just locked in. So those are the type of guards you want to have leading your team. You want them to be able to score. I like the young man over at Alabama, Sexton. Yep. He can score. You know, you want a dynamic type guard or at least a solid guard who keeps everyone involved, who won't turn it over, understands time and score, but you want a pro. I think that's most important. I think the pedigree or at least the formula is having at least three pros on your team, the two legitimate NBA pros, and maybe they have one borderline overseas guy, NBA type guy. You need pros in this league because at some point, a college coach is going to devise a plan that makes it very difficult, but a pro will be able to trump that because they just can play. You can't devise a defense to stop me when you're at that pro level where 
It's nothing you can do. That good defense or that great defense, I'll make that shot against it regardless. So those two type guards are the type of guards I think you need to have in a tournament. Now, you know me. I'm, I'm biased towards my SEC here. And I was watching two guards, two young kids that just were blowing my mind. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander at Kentucky, and you mentioned Colin Sexton at Alabama. When I look back and I look back at some of the, uh, the players that have an impact on the tournament, my mind immediately goes back to Kemba Walker and what he wow, did with yes. UConn. In, Beautiful in, in, run. <laughs> in the Big East, yeah, Big East tournament all the way through to the national title. Is there a player that can actually carry his team? I, mean, I know we've talked about Trey Young, right. um, but, I mean, Miles Bridges, Jalen Brunson, uh, Kyle Guy at Virginia, um, Joel Berry at North Carolina. Is there a le- one legitimate player that you kind of look at and go, when he's hot, his team is unstoppable? I think it's Trey Young. Mm-hmm. I definitely think it's Trey Young. Right. He's so explosive scoring the ball, mm-hmm. and he can get others involved. I know they went through a stretch where it got really tough, but I think for fanfare, he's a young man. Yeah, He's never experienced this before. But when you haven't seen him before, it's tough to prepare for someone you've yep. never seen. Film can give you as much as possible, but when you step out on the floor with somebody, it's totally different. You and I can watch film on each other. And you say, well, hold up, smooth 6'4". He's a little bit stronger than he looks on video. And he can knock down the jumper. <laughs> so it changes. Things change when you get somebody on the court. And it's happened. It's happened to me. But I think some people will realize that when this tournament begins with Oklahoma. Obviously, we, we want to project and see where we can possibly see some great matchups. And we'll get to the Final Four in the championship in a little bit. But there are two Sweet 16 matchups that I think a lot of people, myself included, are really hoping that are going to happen because they could be the best two two team, two team, games of the tournament, honestly. Uh, I look at the Sweet 16, Michigan, North Carolina, and then Michigan State, Duke. Way. Those two teams, if those two games actually happen with Sparty and, and, and uh, the Blue Devils going up, right. and then you get Michigan and North Carolina, what do you think about with those two games right there? Because to me, that could be the Final Four. Again, I talked about Michigan State. I believe they're just tournament-tested. So tough. They crashed the glass. And I think their talent level may be at a point where even if they don't play as well defensively, I think they have some guys who can really score and get to that next level. Duke is young. Mm -hmm. They're young, but they play so well. They play so well together. As much as everyone gets on Coach K, uh, sometimes it's about uh, Grayson Allen. And what he does, but again, he's a sole senior that keeps that group together and right. that talent level is so high. I just think if that gets into a tough, close game, I like Michigan State a little bit better. I will. I would love to say Iona could give Duke. <laughs> but I, I would. I wouldn't be trusting my basketball IQ. That's just not fair. <laughs> <laughs> you and I have known Coach Clues for a very long time yes, at Iona, and, and we got to give the Mac some love. Right to, to go completely off basis here because you brought him up with. Right. With the UConn job open, I mean, do you, is there a job out there that Tim Kluse would leave New Rochelle for? In all honesty, I believe Coach Kluse is a New York guy. Mm-hmm. I really would love to see him at St. John's. Yeah. Uh, I think Mully had a great year at St. John's. But from what I've understood and what I've heard, I don't think Mully's quote-unquote a coach. Mm-hmm. I know his assistants and his, his team does a lot to assist him in right. getting that team to where they were this season. I would love to see Clues in New York at St. John's. That'd be I'm a, throw that out there. Be a lot of fun there. Uh, so let's get yes, to it mm-hmm. then here as we get set. San Antonio in a couple of weeks, Smooth. Who are the four teams that you have advancing to the Final Four? Here are my four teams for the Final Four. Arizona, Michigan, Villanova, and Michigan State. I believe Arizona will beat Michigan. I believe Nova will beat Michigan State. And I'm Philly born and bred. Villanova will be cutting down the nets as the national champions. We didn't talk about him, but you like DeAndre Ayton that much. Yes, indeed. Again, I think after that first and second round, talent just starts to trump because everybody plays basketball. First and second round, I believe the coaches take over. Mm -hmm. You're going to devise different things to try to figure out how I stop this guy. We're going to make a deep. And everybody's a little nervous because if you're a top team, the last thing you want to do is to lose to a lower seed team. So right. some teams play tight. You notice most games are very close first half, and then you, you figure things out and say, okay, all right, it's time for to dust these guys off. Now you're starting to play teams you're familiar with that you're used to playing, and that's next, that third and fourth round. So you start to be more comfortable and you just play basketball. And I think Arizona's talent level is so high, 
if they can get over just some of the issues that they have off the court, I think they've kind of resolved that. I just believe they have put themselves in a good position. And I just love Nova. I just think they're tough. Uh, I think the guard play is great. My one concern is their interior play. But you and I have discussed this many times. Paint touches are big with me. Yep. It doesn't always have to be bigs. If your guards can get into the lane, that's considered a paint touch for me. When you can get into the lane, that assistant opens up everything. So I, I like to see what Nova can do and close it out. And Omari Spellman is actually a lot of fun to watch there for Villanova. He doesn't get talked about a lot because of Brunson and Bridges. But, um, you got it. You know, he's Omari Spellman's great there. And, of course, Jay Wright. Great so, young player. He can knock down a three, and he has a post game. So we've got Nova winning their second title in three years over Arizona. Smooth, it's always fun talking basketball with you, brother. It's It's been a while, but this is this really is the best time of year. I mean, you and I, even when Manhattan's not in the Nash, in the NCAA right. tournament, we're talking basketball. We're still watching it. I know that. <laughs> That's what we do, man. And I wanted to make one other point. I know we talked about off the air, you and I just was discussing how the committee makes decisions. Yeah. And I wanted to give a tip to the committee and anyone just involved. This would go a lot smoother if they wouldn't come out and try to explain everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. Don't tell us why and try to go into detail because you're always going to contradict yourself. And they just say we picked this team because we thought they were better. There's nothing we can argue on that. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you need to tell us. So don't put the criteria out there. Just just tell us. Don't tell us all that, Christian. That's too much. It gets confusing because then you got bright guys like you going to break everything down. (laughs) And and then you're going to have to explain to me why did Arizona State get in and these guys didn't get in, and why, you know, and you said this criteria, and it's always going to be a contradiction because it's basically your opinion versus my opinion. Don't tell you us. like this team a little bit better than the other team. Yep, don't tell That's us it. how to pass the test. Just tell us who did. So You got it. You got it. <laughs> Smooth, as always, I love talking with you, brother. Chris Williams, 1993 MAC champion, Jas- Manhattan Jasper Hall of Famer, NCAA tournament participant. We appreciate the insight, brother. Always a pleasure. Throw in one more for me, see. Author. 20 Beautiful Men, you have my book also. <laughs> I have it. Steph has. Steph loves it. So Steph has it. My brother Brandon, he loves it. So it's 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 a good book. Check it out. 20 Beautiful Men. Uh, it's And it's a great, more importantly with the book, it's a great and easy read to make you feel good, which is important. Yes, sir. That's what I do, man. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk with you, Smith. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Chris Williams there, uh, 1993 Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference champion. Uh, and, and listen, I... Smooth and I go back a, a long ways. He's got great basketball insight. He's a lot of fun to listen to, and and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more. But he's absolutely—I mean—that Seton Hall team is just interesting. And, and I, it, I don't have Arizona going past the Sweet Sixteen. I don't. I, I mean, I love DeAndre Ayton. I think he's a great talent. But there's something about Virginia's defense that really is just there for me. So I'll get into that a little bit more when we return, uh, as well as our weekly poll question and your uh, listener questions, all coming up here on Press Row. Want to be part of the show? Go to Facebook and search Press Row Podcast Public House Media. Or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Press Row PHM. You can also email the program Press Row PHM at gmail.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a Public House Media podcast. Back on press row, last few minutes here as we get set to close up shop. March Madness officially underway. We'll get to those final four picks, or at least my final four picks in just a little bit. Reminder to join the Public House Media Bracket Challenge. You can do so. Check out the Public House Media Facebook page as well as the Cheap Seats Sports Podcast uh, Facebook page. Make sure you like both of those. Join the group and have a chance to compete against myself as well as a couple of other Public House Media hosts and have some fun here this March Madness. Want to get, though, first things first, we'll get to our weekly poll question, which you can always find on the Press Row podcast by Public House Media Facebook page. This week we asked you guys who was the least deserving at-large bid, the Oklahoma Sooners or the Syracuse Orange. And uh, your guys' vote, uh, as the way we looked at it here, is pulling up the final numbers... It seems as though the Oklahoma Sooners, 67% of you believe that. And listen, I know a lot of folks hate the fact that Syracuse got in. I hate the fact more that Oklahoma, because when you look at Oklahoma, they're a team that lost 11 of their last 15 games. They weren't playing like a team that deserved to be in the NCAA tournament. Had a couple of big blowout losses. Their RPI wasn't that great. 
And the only reason they're in the tournament is because of Trey Young, because he's the most marketable athlete. You heard myself and Chris Williams talk about it. He's the most marketable guy in the NCAA tournament field, so they had to put him in to make you watch. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to watch Louisville. You're not going to watch Oklahoma State, who deserved to be in. Uh, St. Mary's, who probably deserved to be in Middle Tennessee State. No, you're going to watch Trey Young because he's the most marketable guy. He's a name you've heard all season long, and that's who you want to watch. So I agree with the 67% of you who said Oklahoma was the least deserving team, but they're the one that that are in right now. So we'll see what happens uh, as they face off with Rhode Island in the first round. All right, get you to your questions, which you guys can always submit via social media, Twitter and Instagram, at PressRowPHM. Of course, the Facebook page, Press Row Podcast by Public House Media. You can also, of course, email the show, PressRowPHM at gmail.com. Derek uh, in California asking, are what do we think the odds that Tiger wins the Bay, wins the Arnold Palmer this weekend and then wins the Masters? Look, I, I don't know if he's going to win the Masters. Uh, I think he does win this weekend, though, Bay Hill. I mean, he played tremendous uh, this past weekend at the Volspar Championship. And what was most amazing about that is you look at the putt he made on 17 to get within a stroke, uh, to have a chance at at forcing a playoff, and then he missed that 39-foot uphill putt by about two and a half feet. That was the biggest putt golf has had in over 10 years because it meant Tiger is back. Tiger is officially back, and it's not just his game. Yeah, he had a couple of putts that he should have made and probably won the tournament outright, but what's most important about this is now... Every single person who sets foot on that course thinks that Tiger's in the running. And the mental part of Tiger is what made him so great. The fear that Tiger put into so many people's hearts is what makes him great. And the fact that Tiger is back is great for golf. The Masters ratings, the attendance are going to go skyrocketing through the roof. It's unbelievable. So I do think he wins his weekend at Bay Hill uh, and eventually goes to the Masters as a tremendous favorite. He's already a 10 to one odds, uh, you know, when he was a hundred to one at the start of the year. So it's incredible to think that. Uh, let's see. Luke in uh, Kansas wants to know thoughts on the NIT testing new rules for men's basketball. If you didn't see this in the first round of the NIT on Tuesday night, you kind of missed out on something interesting. So they're testing out new rules, which I love all of them. Uh, the women's game a couple of years ago in women's basketball collegiate level switched over and they went to do four quarters. And in the NIT, they're testing that out four 10 minute quarters. The double bonus becomes after five fouls in each quarter, which is great. Similar to the women's rules. You get one media timeout per quarter. It comes the first dead ball after the five minute mark, the shot clock. This is, this is the fun one for me. This is the one I love. The shot clock resets to 20 on an offensive rebound, 20 seconds on an offensive rebound as opposed to a full 30. That is one I love. Um, It's going to speed up the game, I think. It's going to make things a lot more fun. What will be interesting to note, though, is if these changes actually take effect throughout the entirety of the NCAAs because here's why I like breaking. I want the game to be in the quarters, and here's why. I want games that are competitive, and when you stop a game, when you have a, a first quarter end after 10 minutes, and a team has gone on an 18-2 run, now that team gets to reset. The team that's struggling, that's given up 18 straight points or whatever it is, can regroup a little bit. They've got a breather. They've got a little bit of a break to kind of get their momentum going again, and it makes games more competitive. It's a lot of fun. I've seen it in the women's game over the last three years. It's great for college basketball. I think it's what needs to happen because you go from playing high school AAU ball where it's eight-minute quarters to 20-minute halves, and then if you're lucky enough to go play in the pros where it's 12-minute quarters, no, you got to keep it consistent. I like the idea. I love the new rules that they're tinkering with in the NIT. And if you haven't had a chance to watch it, I know everybody's going to watch NCAAs. But watch the NIT and get a feel for how the game changes with these new rules. So it's a lot of fun. What I still want to see them do, though, is like they have in the women's game. The last two minutes of the halves of, of the second quarter and the fourth quarter, coaches cannot, when they call for a timeout after a made basket, they can advance the ball past half court. That'll make games so much more fun. Really hope that those are, are some of the things that come out of the next couple of uh, looks here as to how to possibly change, how to possibly improve the uh, NCAA basketball. Always appreciate your guys' questions. As always, submit them on social media. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, share us uh, on Google I, Google Play, iTunes, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, iHeartRadio, and, of course, the phmedia.com. Last minute of the show, get you guys my final four picks 
for uh, the tournament here coming up. I've got a couple of one seeds and a couple of three seeds. I got Virginia and Villanova. The experience of the Wildcats is great, and then the defense of Virginia, I think, carries them. I know a lot of folks like Smooth, love Arizona and DeAndre Aton. I just think at some point defense wins championships, and Virginia will advance. Then I've got Michigan and Michigan State. I think the Wolverines are playing great. Uh, they're playing one of the best. They're one of the best teams right now playing. And then the Spartans, I picked them at the start of the year. I think they're the best complete team, especially with Miles Bridges and Nick Ward and Joshua Langford. I think they're a tremendous uh, squad there. So I've got Villanova, Virginia, Michigan, and Michigan State in the Final Four. I've got the Cavaliers and the Spartans going up against each other in the championship game. And my champion, like I said in October, I believe that Michigan State is the best team in the NCAA. I believe they cut down the nets in San Antonio. Check out the Public House Media Facebook page. Check out the Cheap Seat Sports Podcast. Check out their Facebook page as well. Like them both. Enter into our tournament challenge. Prove me wrong. Show me that you're better than me. And you get a chance to win some awesome prizes from the folks here at Public House Media as well as the Cheap Seats Sports Podcast. I really appreciate you guys being with us on the show. Really appreciate Chris Chapazzo of CBS Sports. Chris Williams, our NCAA basketball insider as well. We're on vacation next week. We'll have a best of show for you guys, so I hope you all enjoy that. But until then, I'm Christian Heimel, and I can't wait to see you on Press Row.